Share delicious vegan cooking with someone you love. With more than 400 online lessons, home chefs of all skill levels are sure to enjoy the gift of plant-based courses. Show your appreciation and let them know you care with an introduction to healthier home cooking by visiting vcoco.com forward slash the jealous vegan. That's V-E-E-C-O-C-O dot com forward slash the jealous vegan for 10% off all gift cards for the jealous vegan audience. In all honesty, I think a lot of people have had a somewhat similar experience this year where they're like, okay, I got to get myself back together. I will eventually have to put on clothes without elastic waistbands and go out amongst other people. So let me get to work on that now. But anyway, back to, <laughs> I don't even know what my question was. <laughs> We're talking about comfort. Oh, how can, right, how can I, how can I have comforting foods that are healthier? What kind of um, recommendations do you have for that? Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today, we are joined by... April Frazier, confidence coach, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Influencer. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. We're so excited to have an opportunity to check back in with two twins you should know, Lucas and Samuel, our good friends and founders of VCoco. Welcome back to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So we'll encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you were unfamiliar with the Shandurl twins. Did I say that even <laughs> close to correct? That's perfect. <laughs> but they've created a, a cooking course, uh, a subscription service where you can learn to cook healthy vegan food. And we also enjoy talking to them, not just because of their ability to, to bring new information to our purview regarding how we can eat more healthily, but they also live in Germany. And so we found, especially in 2020, where the world seems a little bit closer together because we're all experiencing some of the same issues and dynamics and challenges we wanted to understand more about how life is in Europe and Germany specifically and how we can help one another and all of those who are listening to us navigate through the next few months of, you know, whatever the winter quarantine cold flu season might bring. So let's start off with talking a little bit about what the weather is like there in Germany this time of year. So here in December, we start to get towards a possibility of snow. And then, of course, as we roll into late January, early February, that's typically when the Washington, D.C. area has its coldest temperatures, the most snowfall, usually right around President's Day, which is like the third week of February. But what's it like in Germany this time of year? We'll go with you, Samuel. <laughs> Okay, I, I waited for Lucas because he actually looked up the the temperature in Fahrenheit before. <laughs> because in Germany, uh, we do have the Celsius temperature, so uh, I could tell you it's around, I think, 10 degrees, but I, I have to admit, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I think like 40 to it's 50? It's about 30, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, like 30, yeah. It's getting, it's getting cold, but it's not anywhere close to the temperatures in January and February. I think, Jennifer, it's quite similar to the U.S., or to uh, where you're at, because uh, it gets really cold around the end of January, um, sometimes 10, 20 below zero Celsius, that is. Yeah, so we have the best part of winter still ahead of us. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the reason, and I'm just kidding, of course, because as much as I enjoy a good snow day, 
I really do prefer warm temperatures and beach-like weather. The reason I mentioned the weather and was thinking about it is because we had an episode earlier this year where we talked about how our approach to quarantine early in like the mid-March period for us was like a snow day. Right. So people bought a lot of unhealthy kind of junk foods like, hey, I'm going to be in the house for two weeks. This is going to be great. I'm going to have all my favorite snacks. And then three months later, we were like, oh, wait, I still have to put clothes on. So maybe I should alter my course of action here. <laughs> Lay off the snacks. Because my, my pants aren't fitting right. <laughs> if only it just been two weeks. Also, right. Nobody yeah. anticipated that it was going to be the, an extended stay at home. <laughs> but uh, and then somehow we did because. People bought toilet paper and paper towels, at least here in the United States, even though that doesn't necessarily help with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do in a snowstorm. Make sure you have plenty of toilet paper and paper towel. Right. But anyway, so I think that people maybe have altered their mindset around quarantine, but that doesn't necessarily mean they won't return to their old ways when it comes to getting ready for the winter season and potentially any large snowfalls that are to come. So kind of to the whole group, what are some tips that we can offer people to help them think about how they might provide some, themselves some comfort at home and yet still lean towards taking care of their mental and emotional and physical health? Can I just say, am I the only one that likes pasta and potatoes, potato chips, sugar? Like I'm, I'm already there. I've tried to, I'm trying to work out every day intentionally because I recognize I want fried food, pasta, all the things that are comforting. I don't know why it is that pasta and, and carbs, I guess, uh, simple carbs are really, really attractive to me right now. And in the summertime, I'm okay to eat, you know, some plant-based yogurt and fruit and keep moving. Am I alone? I don't think I'm alone, but am I alone in like wanting comfort food when it gets cold? No, you're not. I think for me personally, it's uh, definitely the same. I enjoy pizza, pasta, potatoes. And yeah, as it gets colder, uh, the more so. I think we, Lucas and I, we both try to eat quite balanced in general. So having at least like one salad meal a day, uh, but then sometimes, you know, there's like a pasta dish in the evening or homemade pizza. That's my favorite. Uh, it's just the best. <laughs> See, now that's pizza is one of those things that's really good because cheese is the critical element. And in order to make a good quality pizza, you got to have really good quality cheese and you guys have that amazing course on cheese I won't get into, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned pizza. That's actually, as you mentioned, a great point, because I think a lot of people have this belief that you need cheese to make a great pizza. And the pizza that we do, we basically do it without cheese. We just make a fantastic dough and then you prepare it the right way. So more of the Italian style that you put it in the oven, it's just very shortly in the oven. But then the dough develops a sort of qualities of flavor. And you don't need actually the cheese. Sometimes what, what we do is we put almond uh, mousse, what's called an almond butter on top, like the white almond butter. And it has an almost cheese-like flavor and consistency. And it's a great uh, way to sort of, you know, not miss cheese at all. What? Yeah, I can't even yeah. think of pizza with no cheese. <laughs> I can't. You're blowing my mind. Because my first thought was, do you make your own cheese based on the cheese course? And you know, you're saying, oh, I don't even need that to have pizza at home. No, we're That's making the, we're making the the pizza based on the on what we learned from the Italian course and what we learned from when we went to Italy in September uh, with the sourdough course. Samuel, I think you learned a lot about uh, uh, how to cook the the pizza right uh, properly in September because here in Germany, usually when we make pizza. It's very dry. <laughs> they leave it in the oven for too long. And 
the best thing is what we like is to get this really i mean samuel you've been doing this a lot since we came back from italy like this really nice crust and then only do it for like two or three minutes in the oven so there's, a, there's a, just a couple of key things and one is that uh, the pizza you the, the dough needs to rest a little bit like two or three days before you actually put it in the oven uh, and then you need to have a very hot surface on which you put it and a very hot uh, sort of top that brings the heat down to the pizza. So there would be the grill function, for instance, in the oven. And usually the way that we do in Germany is many times we have the oven way too cold and then we have the pizza in there 15 or 20 minutes and it just dries it out. If you have like the hot surface and you grill it from the top and you just put it like four or five minutes and then it's, it turns out really, really nice. But then again, it depends on the oven. And how you like your pizza as well. I think in the States you eat pizza very differently than, uh, than in Italy, right? You have this American style pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're referring to size like, and the quality, maybe. Well, he showed the thickness, so I, I think, think he meant like yeah, Chicago style, Chicago style pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not common. I feel like that's a pretty small uh, market for pizza. Yeah, in New York, this is much smaller, right? It's thin. New York yeah. size. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just have if one I could, question. Amer- one question. Jenny. If I could, um, wait, if I could Americanize <laughs> what Samuel said for just a second. So you said the grill function, I think in America, it would be the broil function on your oven is what brings that heat down to the bottom. Sorry, April, go right ahead. No, thank you. That's an important distinction. Is, is Could this... you be out there like, I don't have grill on my oven. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to ask what you mentioned about the production of the crust, Samuel, in terms of letting it rest for two to three days and then making sure the temperature of the oven is a certain is, is hot enough and the surface is hot enough that you put the pizza on, all this stuff. Is any of this covered in your of the Vicoco catalog where people could go and take this video and, um, and learn how to make this. Because one thing I've missed as since going plant-based is a good, really good quality pizza, <laughs> like what I remember. So I'm curious if you have this recipe in your catalog for our audience. Yes, we, we do actually. Um, so we did film a course about vegan Italian classic dishes such as pizza and pasta last year. And the pizza that we prepared back then, it was prepared in, in, in an Italian pizza oven. But the thing is, of course, most people don't have an Italian pizza oven at their home. I wish I would have one, maybe in the future, but right now I don't. So last time we went, uh, in October, we went to Venice and we filmed a course with an Italian chef about uh, baking with sourdough. And one of the parts was uh, baking sourdough pizza. And we also asked them, well, most people who watch the course, they don't have a pizza oven at home. So how can they do that? And he actually showed a very interesting technique. So what you basically do is you put the dough inside a pan, a hot pan, and um, you first basically get it, get the crust hot in the pan. So it's sort of firm. And then you put it directly in the oven with the broiler on a very, on very high heat. And then you basically let it uh, get the heat from the top. And that way you get uh, pretty much the same result as you would with an Italian pizza oven. So yeah, uh, to make uh, a long sentence short, yes, we do have uh, that sort of techniques also at Vicoco. Y'all heard it. Audience. Note to self. Yep. Check out <laughs> the new Italian classics. So one of the other things I think that's driving people to be concerned about how they can cook at home is, is besides quarantine, we're just at a time of year when people tend to be at home more. So we already talked a little bit about the weather. The other thing is that a lot of people have time off at the end of the year. They're either going to be traveling to see their families or they're going to be in a position where they have to use, in the States, we call it use or lose leave. 
you guys probably have a much more generous holiday or vacation schedule than we do here in America. But I think people are just anticipating for the next two or three, maybe longer months, I'm going to be at home. I joked in a previous episode, I can't keep working on my 600 pound life audition tape. So <laughs> what are some things? <laughs> I don't even know if you've ever heard of this show, but there's no. a show. Oh, this is this is what's wrong with this country. There's a show. <laughs> there's a show <laughs> on a TV station. I mean, uh, yeah, a cable network called the Learning Channel (TLC), but it has morphed into kind of a reality show gone wild. And so, one of the shows that they've had on for 13 seasons now is called My 600 Pound Life, and it explores kind of like people who are now super morbidly obese, how they got to that point, and then what can they do about it? And typically the what they do about it is a weight loss surgery. And so it's become a pretty pervasive problem in America. And I joked about it um, on this recent episode because um, I have gained weight during quarantine. I hurt my knee. I've been pretty immobile for the last two months or so. And in like kind of the fog of, I don't know what's happening in my life, I was not making great choices. And so I'm, I feel like I'm beyond that now. But in all honesty, I think a lot of people have had a some, somewhat similar experience this year where they're like, okay, I got to get myself back together. I will eventually have to put on clothes without elastic waistbands and go out amongst other people. So let me get to work on that now. But anyway, back to, <laughs> I don't even know what my question was. <laughs> We're talking about comfort. Oh, how can, right. How can I, how can I have comforting foods that are healthier? What kind of um, recommendations do you have for that? I think one of the easiest ways would, would relate to the way you prepare it. So, I mean, one of the easiest ways to get a lot of calories in is through oil because it's so processed and one tablespoon already contains uh, a lot of calories. And uh, we are definitely not one of those vegans who are against oil. Like there's a lot of people who eat no oil at all. But if you do want to enjoy a lot of comfort food, maybe half the amount of oil or something in the recipe. Because sometimes when you, when you look at Gordon Ramsay or something, for example, <laughs> like he says, a splash of olive oil and then he puts half of the butter on top, right? That's a bit of an overkill. So I think the easiest way to, to eat a lot, like let's say potatoes or anything, uh, when you bake them in the oven, is just to add a splash of oil and then flip them so that it's evenly distributed, uh, distributed and then you bake them. And that way you have all of the uh, potatoes with a lot less calories, for example. I like that idea. I've actually found that to be true with salad dressing. Even though like the recommended serving size is like two tablespoons, I found that, especially if it's a vinaigrette, one tablespoon, and then I just either put it in a bigger bowl so I can really mix it, and the flavor carries throughout, and everything's got a little bit of dressing on it, and I, I really don't need more than that. I'm curious here, what are your comfort foods, Lucas, Samuel? Germans don't have comfort foods. No, <laughs> <laughs> in, in Germany, it's probably beer, I guess. Yes, we're the beer country. <laughs> but in but in our case, uh, my brother and I, we like Sam and I, we we like to drink beer in, in summer. But the moment it gets cold, I have zero desire to drink any any beer. To you, I think for us it's the same. Probably like a lot of potatoes, at least for me also. And also, I mean, in in, in Germany also, the traditional German cuisine is very potato and meat heavy. That's pretty much the two main <laughs> main things. So yeah, there's always a lot of potato that you can find anywhere. About comfort food, I think in Germany also we do have actually a, a big uh, influx of Italian food. 
because I think back in the 60s, there were a lot of uh, people from Italy coming to Germany to work and they stayed and, you know, the whole cuisine came into Germany and I think it's probably the most well-liked or the, the, the best-liked cuisine in Germany. So, you know, we grow up eating pizza, pasta, of course, not as good as in Italy, but uh, still quite good. So I think also one of my comfort foods, as I said earlier, is definitely also pizza and pasta and these sort of dishes. But there's one thing in Germany that uh, a lot of, every time we tell Italians about it that we have this, they, <laughs> they go crazy. Because in Germany we have this thing, it's uh, uh, pasta pizza. So they throw pasta on top of pizza and then they put it in the oven. <laughs> and, uh, really? Yeah, every time we, we tell uh, Italians, they're just like, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrilegious for sure. I mean, yeah, pasta on top of the bread. Pizza. That seems like a lot. <laughs> Is it good though? I mean, it's been a long I, time since we had it, I guess. Okay. I have to admit, I have to admit, I was having pizza night with my wife the other day, and she asked me, "Oh, I remember we had pasta pizza in our childhood. Do you remember that? Why don't we throw some spaghetti on top of the pizza? I hope nobody hears this." <laughs> So actually, <laughs> we boiled a bit of spaghetti, we put it on top of the pizza, we put some self-made uh, arugula pesto, which actually carried the most flavor. And to be honest, it was great. But yeah, probably uh, most Italian chefs would just uh, roll their eyes if they do this. <laughs> they will turn the podcast off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds interesting. I find that... Pasta really does kind of work for all seasons. So in the summertime, you have all these great summer vegetables like tomatoes and asparagus. And well, of course, onions are always available that uh, you could roast and then toss into a pasta dish, even some maybe some peas or sugar snap peas. And in the winter, though, I, I think I, I struggle to find like what I could use to make pasta more, you know, vegetable dense other than just the pasta and the sauce maybe mushrooms, but do you guys have any suggestions or ideas, or even just from your own experience, what you've been doing to make pasta not just comforting, but also carry some extra servings of vegetables throughout the winter? I mean, you could, um, as I said, pretty much pick up any vegetable that you like and then uh, throw it in the, in the tomato sauce, for instance, and just cook them through. And, you know, be creative here. You can, you can mix all sorts, of, all sorts of vegetables, whether it's Tomatoes, carrots, uh, champignons, maybe even fennel, stuff like that. And I'm sure it's, it's going to taste great if you combine it. And you could use some orange zest to give it more flavor. You could add a bit of white wine, red wine to have more of a maybe winter, winter flavor. But I think it would actually work with all kinds of uh, vegetables. But in general, also to maybe avoid eating a lot of pasta in the first place, uh, what you could also do is always add a nice salad at the side or a salad that you actually eat first or you prepare a soup in winter right now actually I, I i love to eat soup and i think it's a great way to start your dinner if you have a, a hot soup first and then you eat something else because you already saw the full and you don't have like the desire to eat like a second bowl of pasta after your first or stuff like that so i think uh, if you eat comfort food and you don't actually want to eat too much of it you can always uh, throw in a salad or uh, steamed vegetables or a soup or something like that that sort of fills you up and also gives you more variety to what you eat. Thank you for sharing that. You just reminded me that, yes, that's I've been craving soup and I tried to make one recently. It came out okay. 
plant-based soup. It came out okay, but I'm still working on my soup formula because <laughs> I can't quite, you know, here in America, chicken soup is that very common thing, especially when people are sick. And it's just something about the nostalgia of having chicken chicken soup when I was growing up. But of course, I was I don't want the chicken. So I'm trying. I'm trying different things with miso. I'm trying some mushrooms and, you know, get the stock really good. That's really the base. And then adding, I just like a noodle soup and add some vegetables, right? But I can't quite get it to be as satisfying as what I remember my grandmother making in a chicken soup. So thank you for reminding me of that. Of like, yes, I've been meaning to go back and look and do some more investigation around how to make a better quality vegetable soup. Do you actually have a, I'm, a, I'm curious, do you have smoked tofu in the States? Uh, is that like tempeh? No, it's, uh, it's basically tofu, but it has been smoked and it has this really uh, sort of barbecue flavor. I haven't seen it packaged, but I have seen it at a smokery that I know in D.C. They have it, but I don't see it packaged like in a grocery store. I'm, I haven't seen it. Because the other day I was uh, I was making soup and then I was blending it. Uh, and then my roommate came to the kitchen. He was like, are you making chicken soup? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it, it really the, the, the whole uh, soup basically tastes like chicken afterwards. It's really interesting. And the whole apartment smelled like chicken soup, but it's just smoked tofu. Wow, that's interesting. One thing that you can try, April, I was going to say is I found mushrooms, leeks, and kale sauteed in a little bit of oil. And then you add like a vegetable stock and coconut cream or coconut milk. Um, has been a soup that I enjoyed last winter and I served quite a few times and people really liked it. And they never, they never even really knew they were eating vegetables. <laughs> that's how good it is. Although I hate to say that. I hate to say that because it's good, people don't know that they're eating vegetables because vegetables are good. But, you know, when you're dealing with people who, you know, I'll never be vegan is what they will tell me. So I just try to fool them a little bit so that they can find it. Oh, I really do like vegetables if they're well seasoned and, and cooked properly. I actually just want to mention we filmed last week here in Berlin with a chef. Uh, he has a restaurant called Crunch Canteen. It's kind of like a healthy buffet-style restaurant. It's super delicious. But of course, he's closed at the moment. So he took the time to film with us. And he made this one soup. He actually made a couple of soups. But this one soup, I really loved it. And it was made from uh, celeriac. And I always just saw celeriac at the store. It's like this bulb and this root. Uh, you just sort of see the earth. And I actually never knew how to, how to prepare it. And he basically just cuts off the, he cuts off the rind. And then he cuts it into pieces and then he sweats it together with onion and some dried thyme and with some oil. But he sweats it for like one hour. So basically without adding any water, he just sweats it at a very low temperature. And that way it really develops a lot of sort of smoky burnt flavors. The, the flavor really comes out. And afterwards he just throws in some water and uh, he blends it, he liquidizes it and refines it with some truffle oil. And that's pretty much the whole soup. I never knew that uh, celeriac could be so tasty. So, And is that course already available or is it still in production? It's actually, uh, it's on YouTube. We have it on a YouTube channel. So you oh, can check great. it out. Nice. We'll drop awesome. it in the show notes for sure. Mm. Lisa's making a face. I saw her making a face when we were talking about truffle oil because I love truffle oil. Okay. I think it's <laughs> the best thing ever. Uh, and you see her face, right? <laughs> yeah. She's not too happy. <laughs> like yeah, no, I can't do it. I've tried all truffle oil, truffle salt, a little bit of truffle. It's all bad every time I've done it. So not a fan of truffle. Truffle fries? Yeah. Mm -mm. Still no? Okay. Still a no. But, but I think you bring up a good point, and I, we probably have talked about this before, is that it's the 
texture of flavors and being creative with the flavors and even the preparation. You said he sweats it for an hour. I would think it would burn. So getting the temperature just right so that it can really just melt. I find this true with curry when I um, am cooking curry that I, I have to make sure that the flavor, like spend time with it. Don't be in a rush to drop in the beans or drop in the rice. Just like let it meld. And I think as we were talking that came kind of to the fore of like, right, with many soups, even vegetable based soups, you have to let them give them time to the, for the flavors to come together and they can't really be prepared in a rush, um, which is probably where I lose it because then I'm just like, I'm hungry now. Let's make this soup in 15 minutes. <laughs> and it does not come out as well as it probably could. Cabbage is a big part of German cuisine too, isn't it? But I'm not, I'm not actually sure how it's prepared because I know that that can be something that's comforting, um, especially this time of year. Actually, there's this one dish that I, I actually was craving it the other day, like last weekend. So I made a, a very big bowl of it. And that's a braised red cabbage that's basically slow cooked for three or four hours. And it's very sweet because you add wine, orange, orange zest, some apples. And it's really, really, usually we serve it with some uh, potato dumplings and yeah, usually some meat, but uh, <laughs> as we can, of course, make some uh, lentil rolls, for example. But this this cabbage in winter is really, really good and so simple also. That sounds amazing. Okay, I'm just like, yeah, tell me all about it. Can you ship that? Before we were recording, <laughs> um, before we started recording, I was like, Samuel, can you ship me your cat? Um, yeah, Lucas. Cat and cabbage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you ship those to America? We put it together in the same package. Yeah, that's <laughs> not going to make it through customs for sure. Yes. Or somehow I think the smell will <laughs> tip them off. <gasps> but I'm glad you mentioned that because I think, you know, especially in the American South, but for most people, they only ever grow up eating green cabbage, which I mean, my mom used to make it. But uh, the Southern style of preparation is typically with ham hocks or turkey neck or some some other animal trying to bring the flavor out of the cabbage. And then it's typically boiled, which means that it's just, you know, sits in water and all of the nutritional value kind of melts away. And personally, I've never found it very appetizing. Um, and I also found it kind of difficult to digest because it's so fibrous, I guess. But as I got older and as my mom's kind of adjusted her cooking style, she would always saute like red and green cabbage with Carrots, almost like a coleslaw style preparation, but she would saute it um, and it was always really good. Um, and so I don't I don't typically do that or want to do that, but I like the idea of braised red cabbage because I think it does give you some different flavor and it's more hearty and filling and you don't have to use meat in order to get the best flavor out of it. So we'll definitely look for a recipe or if you have one you want to share with us, we'll make sure that we post it in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, yeah, we might even uh, do one. And, and the interesting thing is, is it has a lot of these Christmas flavors because here in Germany, we also have this thing. I don't know if it's a thing in the States. Uh, so it's like hot wine with uh, cinnamon, cloves, oh. and anise. Mold cider, I think is what they call it. Ah, I am mold cider. Okay. Yeah, in Germany, it's very, very big. Usually around Christmas, the Christmas markets, people are getting drunk on this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah, so, so this year, this year actually is a bit, uh, of course, because of quarantine, we also are in a sort of lockdown right now. And uh, there are no Christmas markets. And I think the lockdown goes until like the 20th and then sort of relaxed a little bit so everybody can spend time with the family. But unfortunately, there's no Christmas market this year in Germany. <laughs> 
Or no bigger one at least. I think cider makes its introduction in, in the U.S. in like late October because that's when, I guess, apple picking season is at its height. And so then it kind of just runs through the end of the year. Um, and then, of course, you have like pumpkin that comes up because Starbucks, you know, has their old pumpkin spice thing. So then that's the flavor for a little while. But what's good about cider is that it's fermented, which is a superfood when things are fermented that, is used, that bring them good probiotics. So I love that you're bringing that up, that uh, there's that sense. It's one of those comfort foods, right, is when you start to hear in the United States near the holiday season, they start talking about eggnog, which is not a fermented food, typically has egg, right? But to have some cider is, 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 is yeah, and cream. Cider tends, is, as far as I understand, is plant-based <clears throat> 100%. And so, and it's also fermented, which could be really warm. So there's a theme here happening in Germany that you guys like to drink. It's definitely <laughs> Yeah, eggnog is also pretty big. <laughs> oh, eggnog too? Is it big there too? Yeah, it's pretty big. And we, we even, the, the chef that we filmed the German course with, he has his own production of vegan eggnog. And it's really, really good. Oh. We'll ship that to the States as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, <yeah>. please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my personal tradition is the first snowfall of the year. I try to make like hot chocolate with Frangelica. Frangelico. And so, but it's, it's so sweet and terrible for me. So I think I need a new tradition. So if I can figure out this vegan eggnog, I'm going to try that. And I don't even know why. You might want to travel at some point to Germany in the winter because just to visit the Christmas markets, because it's really huge in some cities and it's actually a lot of fun. We said we we need to take a trip to Germany. I don't know that I can come in the winter though, Samuel. I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, that's the only selling point for winter I have. (sighs) Apart from that, it's cold. That's fair. That's fair. Are there no big winter sports there that are fun to watch or? Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like possibly. I don't know. (laughs) Probably in the soil. So um, one of the other I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, I was just going to say we were talking about like uh, hot chocolate and sweets. Like, what do you guys do for comfort sweets? Like, let's not leave that out of the party because that's where I always get in trouble. It's like, you know, I, we it's like movie night. And here I am with like the pound cake and the ice cream and, you know, the hot chocolate and the ciders and all of that stuff like what do you guys do for none of that? By the way, it's plant based at all. I, I've, I've honestly um, I've given up. I can't say I've given up, but I don't expect for dessert to be plant-based or vegan just because it always ends up having butter or cream or milk or something in it. Um, you guys have a, a bunch of courses on desserts, your pantry, chocolate. You guys have all these like courses on how to like make vegan desserts. Do you guys have anything that you like? that you make at home that like satisfies that sugar craving or am I the only one? I'm the only one. (laughs) No, you're definitely not. So actually for me personally, I always had uh, a sweet tooth and it was really bad in my uh, youth. And even after that and turning vegan, luckily actually uh, made it better for me. I still have a sweet tooth. So for instance, if I, if I take a bit of ice cream, I want to finish like, the whole pack so that's why i don't buy ice cream <laughs> most of the time but from time to time it's nice to have some sweets and uh, definitely especially when it comes to so far so for me personally i don't uh, snack sweets a lot because i just don't buy them or prepare them but 
when we're invited, for instance, uh, with, uh, with, uh, for friends or uh, we visit family or stuff, then it's always nice to bring uh, sweets and also homemade sweets. And a uh, great thing to do is always bake something yourself, uh, especially if it's like a vegan cake and then people are like, oh, wow, it's vegan. I didn't know cake can be vegan, um, which, yeah, it can be yeah, it can and be. it can be quite delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the trick is applesauce, right? Makes it more moist and you don't need eggs. It really depends. It really depends. Applesauce is one uh, one good way, but to be honest, the whole uh, baking uh, thing is huge, and there's so many different types of preparing cakes and preparing different kinds of dough. So there's not just applesauce, but there's so many different ways how you can replace eggs or increase the flavor or uh, make it more moist. All this sort of stuff. Great. I think we've covered most of the meals of the day, with the exception of brunch. Which personally, um, in DC, there's a lot of really great brunch spots that I've not been able to enjoy this year because, well, they haven't been open. And even when they've done, you know, offered like delivery, it's just not the same, you know, to have the food brought to my house and then it's just me. <laughs> I need to recreate the the whole feeling of brunch. So maybe um, as people are getting together with family, what are some some brunch ideas or ways that they can incorporate uh, memories of that that fun? meal together. I know you guys have a vegan brunch course, so I'm hoping you have some really great tips to share. Yeah, so uh, actually here, in, uh, I have to say a little bit about Berlin before I talk about any recipes, because in Berlin we are quite spoiled when it comes to vegan brunch. It might be one of the best cities uh, for vegan brunch. You have like brunch cafes all over the cities. Some even have buffets, uh, completely vegan, and you can eat like as much as you can, which can be which can be bad for your... For your uh, Wait if you do it too much. <laughs> so we try to do it every once in a while. But yeah, one friend of us, um, she she opened the brunch cafe here in Berlin. And uh, when the first lockdown happened, the whole place was, of course, empty because nobody could, ca could come. And then we wrote and we were like, hey, why don't we use this opportunity and we film a course on vegan brunch because that's your specialty. And she said, yeah, sounds great. And uh, so, so we, we went there and she has this beautiful location. And we were lucky that we didn't actually shoot in the kitchen, but we moved the whole filming into the, the main room where usually the guests sit. And there's this nice brick wall in the background. Uh, it's a really beautiful setting. And a lot of the things that, that she does uh, in her cafe that were also covered in the course is like vegan egg replacements. So, for instance, instead of scrambled eggs, scrambled tofu, egg-like pancakes. What else did we have? Um, she has like these coconut bacon sort of chips of course it's not bacon but it's like smoky and you can add it on top of a bagel and she even has this it's one of the best dishes i think also in a restaurant so it's like smoked carrot salmon so it looks like salmon it's orange it's very smoky it has this really nice almost fish-like flavor and again you can you can make it with your own cream cheese put it on top of a bagel maybe add some capers stuff like that so there's a lot of different ways that you actually can can make a vegan brunch interesting. Okay, Samuel, you just sold me, okay, on Germany for vegan brunch. That's the reason I'm yeah. coming to visit, okay? <laughs> and hold my cat till I get there, okay? That sold me. Sure. <laughs> sold me. Oh, that's great. So it's interesting that you say that, you're, that Berlin has you spoiled for vegan brunch because I wouldn't imagine that that would be such a major draw. What do you think is the reason for kind of the proliferation of those cafes? I think just in general, the, the vegan scene is very big in Germany, luckily. Uh, no, not say in Germany, but in Berlin, it's very, very big. 
because it used to be like the artsy city, more alternative, um, more environmental conscious. And there's just a ton of vegan restaurants in the city also because there's so many international people coming and moving here. And it's a lot of young people. And we spoiled in general when it comes to the price of vegan uh, restaurants. And because for the what you pay in Amsterdam or in London for a starter, you get a whole dinner here in Berlin, basically. <laughs> and the same with the brunch. Yeah, it's really part of living here to eat out a lot. So that's why the prices are also quite low, actually, even for Germany. And because people just tend to eat out a lot. And also the, pr the brunch is quite affordable. And even the more sort of high-class restaurants are kind of affordable. Mm, okay. Um, I mean, see, that, that's what you should have started <laughs> with. I mean... <laughs> That, 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 the Christmas market. No, uh, we're coming to Berlin for the vegan brunch and we go out to eat. That's right. The culture of like, let's dine out all the time. Vegan is is like a thing. Samuel, I mean, come on. That's the dream because here in, in like D.C. specifically, but I was thinking, well, we don't have anything comparable to that. Like California is where yeah, like, LA. yeah, I like to go for the vegan, all the good vegan food, but it is not affordable or cheap and you will definitely go broke trying to. <laughs> Trying to Eat live your best ground. vegan life out there. So that's like, that's appealing. But then I also have to say, uh, as Lucas mentioned, we, we kind of live in a bubble here in Berlin. And you think like, oh, this, the world's already so, uh, so forward thinking when it comes to veganism. And there's options everywhere. And even if we travel outside of Berlin, like when we went to Italy, we do drive through the whole of Berlin and you stop at a gas station and you look at the options and they don't even have one vegetarian sandwich. Like everything has meat on it and everything has cheese on it um, combined. So do you think like, oh, <laughs> how many years does it take until it comes to the gas stations, for instance, or smaller cities in Germany? The airports is where we always fill it. You know, when you're traveling, you hit the airport and there's... There's nothing in, especially if you have a long flight, you want to be able to grab something or if you're getting off of a long flight and then you get to the airport and you're starving and you're like, guess I'll wait. Guess, guess I'll keep waiting. <laughs> I think we're pretty spoiled when it comes to this here. Like uh, even Berlin, the tiny, like we have really tiny airport that just closed. They had a lot of vegan stuff as well. And Austria, the Vienna one was the best one I've been, been to so far. I think Vienna has a lot of vegan options in the airport. Well, that just proves it. We need to either move to California or to Europe. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, fine with Berlin that. specifically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm all about it. Let's do it. But in the meantime, since we can't come there, we need to join the course so that I can get this vegan brunch course that you just filmed in this beautiful location. I can speak for the other courses I've seen. I haven't seen this one, but I can speak for the other courses that I've seen. And yes, always useful, always insightful. I learned something that I can... You know, it's this creative process when I'm hearing you talk about even, for example, the vegan brunch where she's making salmon out of carrots and the smokiness and the time it takes to prepare vegan food because of the complexity of the flavors is something that's emphasis is put on. I think what I see and Jen, to the point that you made about cabbage, that the idea of the way we make cabbage here, typically Southern style, is the meat gives it the flavor, we're kind of disconnected from the fact that the vegetable can have its own flavor if we give it time and we treat it nicely and we, we treat the vegetable like it really has value on the plate versus like the meat's the value, the vegetable's the side dish, which is typically how we frame diet in, in this country. So to hear you talk about those things makes me feel like, OK, I need to slow down, need to pay more attention. 
I need to get some training too, right? I need to pay attention to how other people are doing things and how they're creating. Even the pizza that you mentioned, Samuel, like, what? Okay, that means I got to slow down and wait two or three days with my crust to get right <laughs> and all those things. Like, but that's knowledge, right? And education. And I really appreciate what you've created with Vicoco is that you, you, are taking the time to work with chefs who are passionate about not just plant-based but or, or vegan, but they're passionate about really good food that happens to be vegan. And then if the audience like us cannot travel to Berlin right now, which... <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. I forgot. If you can't... <laughs> If you can't, my passport doesn't work. <laughs> they might let you might can get there, but you might not let you in. But if you can't travel, right, you can certainly travel online to what you've created. And I think it's really beautiful what you've done. So thank you. And then now I'm going to go back for the vegan cor- vegan brunch course. I was just mentioning April because we know that you like cheese. That was the course. I think you you were st- you were talking about a lot last year. And uh, in just, I think, two weeks. Yeah, around two weeks, we have a new cheese course coming up. So the last one was more about sort of the, you know, if you have like Parmesan style, mozzarella, mozzarella style, vegan cheese. And the new one um, is more about aged cheese and fermented types of cheese. You know, that's very interesting to get like these very rich and intense cheese flavors that you might usually have from, okay, I don't know many uh, names for regular types of cheese, um, but you know, when you have like sort of the creamy, the fermented aged cheese They're very different types of flavor, and it's really interesting what you can do with with vegan cheese. Just by using different fermentation starters, just by changing the time that you let it ripe, and so on. So where can people find you all online? So basically, Vicoco Academy on Instagram and Facebook, or Vicoco on YouTube, and of course, uh, our website, vicoco.com. V with a double E. V double E C O C O. And as you've heard us discussing at the beginning of the last couple of episodes, we want to remind you to visit vcoco.com forward slash the jealous vegan for a special promotion on gift cards. It's an opportune time and a way for you to share an introduction to healthier home cooking with the family member that you love. And of course, you could also use it to thank your roommate or spouse for all the cooking they've been doing over the quarantine and also help them refine their skills, which seems like a win-win because they get healthy cooking lessons and you get to be a taste tester. So we encourage you to check out vcoco.com forward slash the jealous vegan. Thank you guys again for joining us. It was so pleasant to have a chance to catch up with you. And maybe you. we'll get to you see you us. in the spring. Yeah, I was good to Hope see so, you yes. guys. <laughs> for listening if you like what you heard today please take two minutes and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app and in the meantime don't let perfection be the enemy of progress